Well, if you've got a Bible, let me encourage you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles 14. 2 Chronicles 14 this morning. Let me ask you a question. How many of you played hide and seek when you were growing up? I did too. I loved that game. And I, I've got to tell you, I'm not bragging, but I was pretty doggone good at it. I knew how to hide and I knew how to seek. I knew all the best hiding places, like hiding in the clothes hamper with clothes on top. That was a good place to hide. Or, or hiding on the bed behind all the pillows. I don't know if you have a lot of pillows on your bed, but behind all the pillows, stuffed down kind of inside the mattress there good place to hide or in, or in some cabinets kitchen cabinets dining room cabinets it doesn't matter just some cabinets and if you can put stuff in front of you it's even better and as I got older I learned how to hide up in the attic I would get the attic down I'd climb up and I'd take the rope and I'd pull it up behind me and no one would ever find me but I discovered the best place to hide is in plain sight and what I mean by that is, is you find a hiding place that, that is out there, but they won't think about looking there because who would hide there? And you hide there and they never find you. But I was also good at finding. I was good at seeking. You see, when you're good at hiding, you're typically good at seeking. Now, this is what I've discovered. Everybody on planet Earth is seeking for something. Would you agree with that? Everybody is. Some people are seeking for fame. Last June, Mona Lisa Perez fatally shot her boyfriend in a publicity stunt. It was an accident. He was holding an encyclopedia in front of his chest and told her to shoot him so that they would get more viewers on their YouTube channel. Well, it didn't work. He died. She killed him. Some people are searching for fortune, a little more money. Many people today believe that if I have a little more money in my pocket, a little more money in my bank account, then everything will be okay. Others of us today are seeking for power or control. We have this idea that if we have our finger on the button, if we are in control, then everything will work well in our life. And then there are others of us who who are seeking relationships. We have this idea that if we find the right man, we find the right woman, we find the right friendship, then everything else will work out okay in our life. But this morning, I want you to see that, that mankind can be divided into two categories. And the two categories aren't black and white. The two categories aren't American and the rest of the world. The two categories aren't even the haves and the have-nots. The two categories are those who seek God and those who don't. This morning, we're looking at the sixth king of Judah. Now, remember Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was the king over Israel when the kingdom divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Under Saul and David and Solomon, the kingdom remained united. But when Rehoboam became king, he listened to some bad advice, some bad counsel, and the kingdom divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, for the most part, was a wicked kingdom. They lived in disobedience to God. They, they worshipped pagan gods, just like their neighbors, until they were destroyed in 722 B.C. 
But the southern kingdom, Judah, had a mixture of of good kings and bad kings. After Rehoboam's death, Abijah, his son, ruled in Judah for three years. And the Bible says that he was not faithful to the Lord like his ancestor David. The Bible says that he was not fully committed to the Lord like his ancestor David. And because of that, Judah was at war for the entire three years of his reign. When he died, his son Asa became king. And Asa ruled for 41 years. During his 41-year reign, there were eight kings in Israel, the northern kingdom. We are told in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1, that there was peace in the land for 10 years. In other words, when Asa became king, peace came into the land. And I believe the reason for that peace is found in verse 2 and following. Follow along with what it says in your Bibles, verse 2. Asa did what was right and good and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. You see, Asa knew that God knows and God sees everything. And he sought to do what was pleasing and what was good in the sight of the Lord. We don't know when, but sometime early on in Asa's life, he made a decision to seek God. And that decision guided and directed everything that Asa did. And we are told when he became king, he removed the pagan altars, he destroyed the shrines, he removed everything to do with idolatry. In 1 Kings chapter 15, we are told that he banished the temple prostitutes. The word there for prostitute in the Hebrew is the word for sodomite. It is specifically referring to to homosexual prostitutes. You see, even in Judah, this this nation that had been set aside for God's purpose and God's glory was following the ways of the world. But Asa got rid of all of that. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 15 that he got rid of all the idols. But the word there isn't the Hebrew word for idol. The word there is a word that literally means round, and it is often translated dung, refuse. In other words, Asa got rid of all of the crap that was in their lives. He decided that he was going to get rid of all of this junk. And the Bible says that he commanded the people to seek God. He commanded them to obey God's commands. Asa was serious about his relationship with God. And he knew that if he put God first and the people put God first, then God would bless them. And God did. There was peace and there was prosperity throughout the entire nation of Judah. This is what Asa said in chapter 14, verse 7. He said, this land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. Did you hear that? 
The reason that God is allowing us to have this land is because we have sought God. Remember what Asa told them to do? He said, seek God with all of your heart. I want you to listen. We don't serve God. We don't seek God to receive his blessings. But when we do serve him, when we do seek him, the blessings always seem to follow. And you need to understand that. You don't follow God for his blessings, but when you follow God, his blessings seem to follow you. But after 10 years, there was this Ethiopian, literally a Cushite, named Zerah that attacked Judah. He had an army of one million men. And Asa sent out his army, which was much smaller, to fight against Zerah. But he knew that there was no way that he could defeat this Ethiopian army on his own. So he cried out to God. And he prayed one of the most powerful prayers recorded in Scripture. Notice what it says. Oh Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O oh Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. Did you get that? No one can help us but you. And because of that, we are trusting in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. Oh Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And God answered his prayer. And God defeated this one million man Ethiopian army. And it was after this great battle uh, that the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, a prophet. And, and when Asa was returning to Jerusalem, Azariah, the prophet, went out to meet him. And I want you to listen to what it says, beginning in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, there's that word again, whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him out, they found him. Now, the prophet's words are important for us today. Azariah said, whenever you seek him, whenever you seek God, you will find him. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way when he was speaking for God. He said, if you seek me, this is God speaking, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You need to understand this morning that God wants a relationship with us. He wants to bless us, but the Bible makes it clear that we must seek him. Understand, the key to a relationship with God, the key to continued intimacy with God, the key to God's favor in your life is seeking God. But couched in these words from the prophet is a warning. 
He said, the Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. If you abandon him, what does it say? He will abandon you. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we can lose our salvation? Does that mean that there comes a point in our life that God will no longer love us? He will quit loving us? Well, absolutely not. But God will not continue to provide his protection or his blessings on our life when we turn our back on him. It is a dangerous thing. Listen, it is a dangerous thing to know the Lord's forgiveness and mercy to experience his power and protection, and then to abandon him and turn your back on him. The New Testament is filled with words that speak of sins that lead to death. The New Testament tells us that in the church, in the New Testament church, in the Corinthian church, they were to cast out a person that was living in sin. Why? For the destruction of their flesh so that their soul could be saved. God was saying, when you abandon me, when you turn your back on me, when you refuse to obey me, then understand I am going to give you over to the world and the powers of the world. And that is a dangerous thing. Now the Bible says when Asa heard this message, he got an extra dose of courage. And every idol that hadn't been removed from Jerusalem, he removed. We are told he repaired the altar of the Lord that was used for worship. And because of this, God's blessings were being poured out on the land. And because of that, Judah was growing. Remember the kingdom was divided. There was the southern kingdom, Judah. There was the northern kingdom, Israel. And because of God's blessings on Judah, we are told that many from Israel were abandoning Israel and, and moving to Judah. They wanted to be a part of where God's blessings were. So during the 15 year, 15th year of King Asa's reign, he brought all the people together in Jerusalem. We are told that they offered sacrifices to the Lord. But notice what it says in verse 12 of chapter 15. Then they entered into a covenant. What does it say? To seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. They agreed that anyone who refused to what? Seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death. Whether young or old, man or woman. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and ram's horns sounding. All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all their heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. The people entered into a covenant with God to seek him with all their heart and all the people agreed that if anyone did not seek God with all their heart they would be put to death talk about a tough membership covenant you think our membership covenant is tough 
It's nothing. Don't tithe. Put to death. Get drunk this weekend. Death. You let that cuss word fly because your team loses. I'm sorry. Death. I mean, this was serious stuff. They were making a covenant to seek God with all of their heart. And because Asa was so committed to this, he even deposed his grandmother. His grandmother had an Asherah pole, which was this pole that was used to worship this pagan god. And he took that pole, he smashed it, he crushed it, and he removed his grandmother. He didn't care who liked or disliked it. He was committed to being perfectly obedient to God. And don't miss what it says here. Everybody in Judah was happy. Everyone. I mean, it wasn't like the people were divided. I can't believe Asa's coming up with this stuff and telling us what we've got to do. No, everyone was happy. Why? Because they all wanted to seek God. They all wanted to serve him with all of their heart. You need to understand that seeking God with all your heart is what brings you happiness, real happiness. Don't settle for the imitation this world holds up. Experience the happiness that comes from your creator when you earnestly seek God with all your heart. And then it says this, they earnestly sought God and found him. Now let me remind you, no one who seeks God will ever turn away without finding him. Did you hear me? No one who seeks God will ever turn away without finding him. He's not hiding. He revealed himself in creation. He revealed himself through the message of the prophets. And ultimately, he revealed himself through his son. No one will be able to say to God, God, I looked for you, I sought you, but I couldn't find you because you didn't reveal yourself to me. No one will be able to say that. God has clearly revealed himself to us. We're told in chapter 15, verse 17, that Asa's heart remained completely faithful throughout his lifetime. And you need to hold on to that. So here in verse 17, we're told Asa's heart remained completely faithful throughout his lifetime. And there wasn't any more war in Judah until the 35th year of his reign. But in the 36th year of his reign, Basha, who was the king of Israel at that time, invaded Judah. And he began to fortify Ramah, which was about halfway between Jerusalem and and Bethel. It was right on the border between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so Basha felt like if I, if I fortify Ramah, it's going to help me as I attack and invade Judah. And his goal was to keep people from coming into Israel and to keep people from leaving Israel and going over to Judah. And so Asa, the, the king of of Judah made this wise decision. He made a treaty with Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Samaria. And he said to the king, he said, if you will attack Israel, 
for me. I will give you silver and gold. And that sounded good to Ben-Hadad. So Ben-Hadad, the king of Samaria, attacked Israel. When Ben-Hadad attacked Israel, Israel quit attacking Judah. And now everything was okay again in Judah. Sounds like a great decision, doesn't it? Militarily, politically, this was an amazing move. But yet it wasn't. It was a bad move. Because somehow, some way, something had happened in Asa's life. Somehow, between that 15th year of his reign and the 36th year of his reign, something happened. Perhaps he, he got lazy because things were going well in his life. Maybe it was just too easy and he got satisfied. Perhaps he just got lazy in his spiritual walk. But it's evident that Asa quit seeking God. He had in the past, but he was no longer seeking God. It's not that he was worshiping idols. He wasn't. He was going to the temple as he always went to the temple. He was offering sacrifices as he always had offered sacrifices. It's not that Asa was involved in immoral activity. It wasn't that he was involved in a, in a sinful lifestyle. He wasn't. He wasn't doing anything like that. He just wasn't seeking God. And it's evident. Because when Basha attacked, Instead of crying out to God like he did when they were attacked earlier, he cried out to a neighboring king. He didn't even call out to God. And because of that, we see this problem in Asa's life. And so God sends a seer. God sends a prophet to deliver a message to Asa. Because remember, God loved Asa. Asa did what was good. Asa did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. We are told that he remained faithful to God throughout his lifetime. But here he was, now, no longer seeking God. Was he worshiping God? Yes. Was he living a good life? Yes. Was he a good king? Yes. From the outside, everything looked great. It's just that he wasn't seeking God. And this is what it says in chapter 16, verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, the prophet, came to King Asa and told him, Because you have put your trust in the king of Aram, Samaria, instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord, and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you will be at war. Asa became so angry with Hanani for saying this that he threw him into prison and put him into stocks. And at that time, Asa also began oppressing some of his people. 2 Chronicles 16.9 is one of my wife's favorite verses. 
Remember, when we first read of Asa, we are told that he did what was pleasing and good in the eyes of the Lord. And now God is reminding him, I am looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to me. And when I find them, do you notice what God says? When I find them, I will strengthen them. Then God says this. He says, what a fool you have been. For most of his life, he had sought after God with all of his heart, with all of his soul. He called his people to follow God with all of their hearts and with all of their soul. But somehow, someway, he stopped. And because of it, God called him a fool. And may I say he was? I mean, how can we ever become self-sufficient? How can we ever trust in man when we have experienced the power of the Almighty to save? And that's what Asa did. And when the prophet of God told him this message from God, he became so angry that he put the prophet in prison in stock. That's what happens when we're not seeking God. I can't tell you the times that that has happened in 36 years of ministry. I've not been put in prison. I've not been put in stocks. But I've had people get angry at me when I've had to confront them with the Word of God because of sinful or foolish decisions. You see, when God's Word confronts us with our choices that are wrong, we have one of two choices. We can either humble ourselves and repent, acknowledging what we're doing is wrong, or we can bow up in arrogance and pride and get angry. And that's what Asa did right here. So from that time on, we're told that Asa was at war. But that's not the end of his story. In chapter 16, verse 12, we read this. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot injury, or foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, listen to what it says, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. And we don't know what that illness was, but obviously it was debilitating. It was severe. And yet even with this serious disease, Asa would not seek God. Now don't miss that. He would not seek God. He refused. Somehow, someway, he had gotten so cold, so distant, that he wouldn't even cry out to God in the midst of his agony and pain. Within a couple of years, he died. Perhaps there's been times in your life when you were seeking God with all of your heart. But if you were honest here this morning, you would have to admit that you no longer are. But we need to understand that we never get to the point that we don't need him. We will never get to the point that we no longer need to seek him. 
We need to discard the myth that, that there is some spiritual experience we can have that will carry us for the rest of our lives. The moment we stop feeding our inner fire with God, it begins to die out and we face the danger of forsaking God. The story of Asa makes that point clear. He was a man that started well. His spiritual reforms brought revival to Judah. God's blessings were being poured out. But later on in his life, he got complacent. He forsook God. And because of it, he incurred the discipline of God. The fire died out. The central message of Asa's life can be summed up in the words of the prophet Azariah. If you seek him... You will find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So here's the bottom line. A great beginning does not guarantee a great ending. Did you hear me? A great beginning doesn't guarantee a great ending. This past year, I have watched multiple spiritual leaders that I admire fall because of sin entering into their life or foolish decisions that they have made. And I know that there are many, many more who are continuing in ministry and yet the fire and the passion is no longer there because they are no longer seeking God. Listen, we can't live in our past, our past successes or our past experiences. Right now, there may be some of you who are thinking back to the glory days. Those glory days when you used to be close to God, when you used to read His Word regularly, when you used to pray passionately, when you used to share your faith with other people consistently. But that was the past. And somehow, some way, for some reason, you've grown cold and you've grown complacent. You've grown busy. You've grown preoccupied. There are others of you who, who may be remembering a spiritual experience, perhaps when you were saved, perhaps when you made a, a life-altering recommitment. It could have been at camp. It could have been at a crusade. It could have been at VBS. But you can't live in the past. It's not your past that defines you. The question is, what are you doing now? So here's the key truth. You never stop seeking God with all your heart. You never stop seeking Him with all your heart. You seek Him when you are lost for His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace. You seek Him when you blow it for restoration and forgiveness. You seek Him for help in times of trouble. You seek Him for guidance when you don't know what to do or where to go. You seek Him for comfort in times of pain and loss. You never, never, never stop seeking God. So as we close, I want to give you several takeaways on seeking God, and we're going to be, we're going to be done. First, God isn't hiding. If you want to find him, you can. 
God isn't hiding. God hasn't made it difficult to find him. He is in plain sight. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is addressing the church at Rome and the world in which they're living, and this is what he says. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Did you hear that? God has revealed himself to man. He's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself through the message of the prophets. And he's ultimately revealed himself through his son, Jesus. Understand, when you stand before God, if you have not received him, if you have not surrendered your life to him, you will be without excuse. Because God will reveal himself to anyone who wants to know him. Second, You can harden your heart to the point that you will no longer seek him. And therefore, you can't find him. Did you hear me? You can harden your heart to the point that you no longer seek him. In in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, it says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call upon the Lord while he is near. If you know you need to respond to the good news, you need to do it. Because if you harden your heart, if you say no to God enough times, your ears are going to get so clogged and your heart is going to get so hardened that you're not going to hear God's voice anymore. And it will be too late. Now, I don't think any of you are here that are here this morning or at that point. If, if you were, you probably wouldn't be here. So what that means, if you're here, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, then I beg you to do it today. Third, seeking God requires faith and obedience. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Did you hear that? He rewards those who seek him. And to seek him, we have to come by what? Faith. We have to trust something that we can't prove. I, I, I can't prove that Jesus is God. I believe there is evidence that's led me to believe that. I believe that it is irrefutable evidence. But I can't scientifically prove that this man Jesus who died on a cross is God. I can't prove that to you. I had to receive that through faith when I heard the message. And you have to receive through faith. And when you receive through faith, it will lead to obedience. Remember what Asa said. Asa said, seek the Lord and obey his commands. And finally, you can't seek God if you're not pouring time into his word and prayer. Did you hear me? You can't seek God if you're not in his word. Some of you are saying, I'm seeking God, 
And I go, so what have you been reading in your quiet time? Well, I haven't been doing it. You're not seeking God. I mean, don't fool yourselves. You study God's Word, and then you pray. You study God's Word, and you pray. That's how you seek God. But here's the truth. Listen, none of us seek God like we should. None of us. In Psalm 14, David said this. He said, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. God looks down from heaven and he says, is there anyone, anyone, anyone who is seeking me with all of their heart? And when he examines the evidence, even like Asa, who was one of the best kings Judah had, he says, no one. Even like David, who was a man after God's own heart, God says, no one seeks me like they should. So that's why God sent his son. Because you and I, on our own, can never seek God enough to be saved. I want you to listen to what it says in Romans 3. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet... God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Did you get that? With undeserved kindness, God makes a declaration. You're righteous. You're righteous. You're righteous. He didn't say you become righteous because you do these things. God declares us righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them, people like Asa, and what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares us sinners to be right in his sight when we believe in Jesus. So how could Asa, even though at the end of his life he wouldn't even call on God, how could Asa be called in chapter 15, verse 17, a man who remained faithful his entire lifetime? How, how could Scripture say that? Was Scripture wrong? Was that a misstatement? Or was it that Asa had been covered in the blood of Jesus even though Jesus had not even offered the sacrifice yet because we are told that God included them oh dear friend listen on your own you can't seek God like you should 
But Jesus came to earth, lived the life we could not live, made the sacrifice we could not make, and because of that, God has declared us righteous and forgiven when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. But he not only does that, through the power of his Spirit, he does something even, in my opinion, more amazing. He makes us new. He changes us. And all of a sudden, something that we could never do like we wanted to do, we are able to do. Because it's not us, but it's Christ living in us. That is our hope. You see, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Good start doesn't guarantee a good ending. But I tell you what can. Seeking God daily with all your heart. You're not going to fall if you're seeking God. If you're not seeking Him, there's a good chance you will. So are you seeking Him? Some of you need to seek Him for the very first time. You need to humble yourself. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to trust Him to be your Savior. You need to surrender your life to Him. Some of you need to do that, and you know who you are. There are others of you who have gotten complacent, maybe lazy. And you're not seeking God. You're in a dangerous place. Stop it. Stop it. And today, make the commitment to seek God. God afresh. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes with your head bowed with your eyes closed? If you're here and you've never sought God for forgiveness and mercy and grace, you've never humbled yourself before Him, then right here, right now, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you today humbly asking you to forgive my sins I believe Jesus that you came to this earth you died on the cross you rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven today I'm trusting you to save me today I'm giving my life to you come into my heart make me new I pray thank you for hearing my prayer Jesus